Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Theomagination Podcast, a podcast about God, faith, and faithful imagination in the 21st century. I'm your host, Phil Odd. I'm excited to share this episode with you. This is the second part of my interview with Dr. Wynne Collier, author of the book we're talking about, A Burning in My Bones, the authorized biography of Eugene H. Peterson. As I was editing this, it felt really weighty. Some of it felt like prayer. And a lot of times I spend a significant amount of editing time editing out the long space between words to make it easier on the listener. But when I got to the last question, the space felt really important. In fact, after the interview ended, Wynne said to me, I don't think you should edit too much of the silence out. And at the end, I didn't. In a strange way, maybe this honors Peterson because he was very comfortable, much more comfortable than I am, with silence. Anyway, I'm really grateful to win for this conversation and the book, and I hope you enjoy the episode. One of the things that I really appreciated about this book was, in fact, the honesty with which you told the story. And you've already alluded to, to some of that. But at one point, you had written that the church was good work, holy work, but Eugene didn't always draw the boundaries he should have. He, at times, was more available to his parishioners than to his family. Years later, he would recognize and regret these feelings, but it was hard for Eugene to see it clearly at the time. He actively resisted so many modern addictions and idolatries, but he didn't see them all. He didn't conquer them all. I'd like to take some time here because this section of the book seems, I say section, I mean, I think there is a section and then it comes up at a few various points, but I'm thinking of Eric, his interaction with Eric and, and also some of the things you mentioned with the marriage. It seems really important and actually in a way really faithful to Eugene's work. For me, one of the brilliant things that you did as you told this story, including the really difficult parts was it ended up being a pedagogical experience in the way that Eugene wrote about being a saint. You know, a saint is not a hero. Saint is something different for that. And when I read about some of the ways that Eugene led his family down through the years, it was both heartbreaking, but it was also strangely encouraging. What was it like to write about those parts of Eugene's life? Why was it necessary as a part of his story? And, you know, maybe what does it have to do with being a saint, I guess? Yeah. Thanks for asking that. I think it was necessary because it's true. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we're just, we're way past the point of needing plastic models. I think most of us are coming to terms recognizing that that stuff doesn't hold up. Yep. And when we're dealing with the deep terrain of the soul, we don't need platitudes. We don't need idealistic visions of something we're supposed to be attaining to. We need the grace of God and the grit of our broken lives. And, you know, early on, I I was, I was really committed to this not being a hagiography. Hmm. Um, Not only because it's bad literature. I mean, who wants to read a hagiography, but also because those of us who've found deep hope and a renewal of God's presence and possibilities through Eugene's life, it was precisely because it was human (laughs) And it was ennobling of what it means to be a human being remade by Christ's love. Yeah. You know, Eugene said over and over again in so many different ways, 
God shows up in our real life. It's not something else. That the things he was resisting over and over again in so many different venues was precisely this kind of false haloed life that was separated from the true human experience. Mm. And nothing would have been more dishonoring to Eugene than to pretend that he was something other than a flawed man who had a deep awareness of the triune God. <laughs> yeah. And another thing about Eugene, and frankly, I don't personally comprehend this because it's so different from my own personality and failings, is Eugene just, he just didn't live with the tyranny of thinking he had to do things perfectly. Hmm. You know, so someone might criticize him about something and his response would often be, I mean, not always, he got irritated too by, you know, bad book reviews or whatever, people didn't get him, but yeah. but more personal criticism, his response would, would often be like, oh yeah, that's really true, <laughs> you know? <Wow. laughs> Whereas I, my tendency is to become defensive, you know? Totally, totally. Um, Me too. Or to, to go internal in a way where I can like self-sabotage, you know, like, yes. oh well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm awful, you know? Yes. And he just didn't, he was like, of course, yeah, I'm human. And mm. so I think Eugene had such a deep conviction that Jesus shows up in the actual details of our life, that that wasn't just a throwaway line in his books. He believed it. And so it meant that Jesus showed up in the places where he wasn't the father that he wished he had been, or Mm. places where he really fell short with Jan, or the places where he got way too tied up in pastoring and missed his son, you know, or places where he began to recognize his own ambition that ran away from him. Like when he, mm. when he left uh, Regent, that was when he was really becoming precisely the kind of celebrity that he so resisted. <laughs> and he left in part because he thought his, his soul was in mortal danger. Mm. And he returned back to Montana where no one knew him. He would go into the post office to pick up their mail at the post office box and realize that not a single person recognized him or said anything to him. And he realized how much he missed being seen, you know, mm. being noticed. Wow. And he recognized, wow, this is, uh, this is the, yeah, I was in dangerous territory, you know. Mm. So all of that is to say it was important to show these things because our hope is not in the fact that there is someone out there who doesn't really struggle with the temptations in the desert. Mm. But our hope is that there is a living Christ who in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the actual tuss and tumble of our life can actually redeem us. Yeah. And so that's the good news. You kind of have bookend the work with with Eric talking about Peterson. In the middle, right, is this section where he reads his letter. I think they had just kind of hiked up a mountain or whatever. And he reads his letter through tears of the ways, you know, I've been working through this for a long time. Here are the ways you haven't been with me. And I mean, it's just, wow, heart-wrenching. But at the end of the book, as I recall, I think that he had said he was the holiest man I ever knew. <laughs> and I'd love the beauty of, of actually holding those two pictures together, right? This is, yeah, he didn't mm-hmm. get it all right, but he was holy. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I mean, Eric, among everyone in the family, Eric was the one who was able to name the deepest mm-hmm hurt with his dad. And at the same time, you know, to look me in the eye and say, my dad is my hero. I've never known a man who is more influenced who I am. And when I hear that, I long for that with my own sons. 
I hope that, you know, I could have a little bit of that impact on my yeah. own sons. But also it rings so true to me. And I feel like that itself is an embodiment of the kind of life that I think Eugene was trying mm. to tell us about. But maybe we only got hints and pictures in his books because how do you describe yes. it? You have to experience it. And so to be able to experience Eugene through Eric's eyes as a man who who was so human that he was deeply flawed as we all are, but a man who was mm. actively transformed. And so to me, those are the two words that I walk away the most with Eugene is that in Eugene, we have a man who in, who is at the same time immensely and fully human and becoming <laughs> radically holy. And what so transformative to me is I think I've been looking for people yeah. like that my entire life because I don't think we know what either one of those things really means unless they're put together the way God intends. Because, you know, some of us have a kind of pseudo holiness and people think of us as a holy person. But if we're super honest, it doesn't seem like there's mm. a whole lot of humanity there. And then you can be with other people and it feels like there's all kinds of so-called humanity. You know, we're raw or we'll speak our mind or, you know, we're fine cursing or I mean, whatever you want to say. But you scratch very far and it's like you don't seem to encounter the deep presence of God. And we think of these things as somehow at odds. Yeah. Scripture and the life of Jesus tells us the exact opposite, but somehow we just can't seem to bridge the gap. And it's so beautiful to find in another human where these worlds are at one with one yeah. another. And isn't this what Jesus taught us? That the more we become like God, the holier we become, we actually become more human in the truest totally. sense. So that to me was one of the most powerful places where my heart was really drawn into into Eugene's experience. Yeah, I I was wondering what it was like to write that, you know, that must have been incredibly moving. You know, you talked about his time at Regent. So he'd written, the longer I'm here, the more I'm celebrated, the more uncomfortable I am. And he said, he said this, I don't fit. I'm not a scholar. I feel that I'm going to be found out any minute. I'm a pastor here, not a professor. I had so many thoughts when I read this, but I was almost immediately drawn actually to Henry Nouwen's words about his experience at Harvard, because Nouwen said that the students wanted to talk so much about prayer and, and contemplation, but Nouwen responded actually quite similarly to Peterson. He said, I didn't feel Harvard was a safe place for me. It was too much podium, too much publicity, too public. Too many people came to listen for an intellectual understanding rather than spiritual insight. It was an intensely competitive place, an intellectual battleground. Harvard was not home. I needed a place where I could pray more. I needed to be in community where my spiritual life would deepen in relationship to others. Now, you know, in fairness, like Peterson, I think when he left, there was a difficulty. But on the one hand, I'm really drawn to people like Peterson and Nowen, who more and more desire less and less platform and more solitude. I say that while I'm pursuing intellectual endeavors myself, which is sometimes the rub. But I also read this, and, and I wonder if there's a critique of the academy to be found here, um, not just a reflection on Peterson. You know, how do you, how do you process Peterson's words here about not being a scholar? Yeah. I mean, he certainly was. I mean, he, he translated the Bible, right? Again, I think I said it earlier, I mean, he's one of the most deeply read persons I've ever encountered. And he could sift through information in yeah. profound ways. So he was a scholar. 
And I should say, in some ways, probably unlike Nowen, he did have deep places of community and region, and he loved much about it and loved the students. But I definitely think, you know, part of it probably goes back, it's about Eugene himself. He always Mm. felt like an outsider his entire life, no matter where he was. He never felt like he was on the inside of things. And so I definitely think there's something about the Academy that continued that sense of outsiderness, you know? And I think part of it was just that Eugene, in in some ways it was him naming something that was simply true, which is at his heart, in his deep heart, he was a pastor. That's who he was. And that is a different vocation fundamentally than a scholar, which is interesting. I mean, he loved scholars. He loved reading scholars. Mm. But... I think he often felt like in institutions that were more driven by the scholarly vocation, that it was pulled away from the the real things of life, the real blood and guts of life. And that's where he wanted to be. And so while he enjoyed teaching in the classroom, I think he thought the parish is actually where the Mm. real action was. It strikes me, though, if we look at some of our earliest theologians, they were... Like Peterson strikes me more in line with how our earliest theologians live, right? He was a pastor theologian. And so as I read that, I thought, yeah, but we need more of you, not less of you <laughs> to be, you know what I'm saying? And I, in, in fairness too, like Regent is not Harvard, you know, in, in the same way that you talk about the community. But I think there are ways that we need to listen when people like Peterson say that and say, you know, okay, fair enough. We see it through his vocational lens. What does it say to us about our institutions though as well, right? Anyway, I I don't think he meant it that way, but for me, I thought this is interesting and something maybe to pay attention to. Well, it's certainly true that the separation between life and spirituality that he fought against his entire life is manifested in our institutions. And so, yes, the same thing he would have been fighting against in every other realm would also be true. Mm. There and also, I remember when there was one, you know, prominent Christian thinker who Eugene had a relationship with and admired in many ways. But he he also said, you know, that the difference between this person, the way he looks at the world, and the way I do is because his situation was primarily mm. the classroom, and Eugene's yeah. was primarily the church. He said. The difference is this other person treats the spiritual life as if it's something that can be sort of boiled (laughs) down into 12 weeks and something that can be taught and integrated and in some way manifested with an outcome by the end of the semester. And because I've spent my life in the parish, (laughs) I just don't believe that. I think it takes a lifetime. And that it's a different kind of disposition and a different kind of integration. You know, as I was looking, I, I had to go find that quote from from now. And now one of the things, maybe a bit of a personal question here, but as I was flipping through that book, now when it said that writing is a process in which we discover what lives in us and the writing itself reveals what is alive in us. So this definitely seemed true of Eugene. In fact, I think he kind of made that correlation between his writing and his life at several times. I'm wondering if I can ask it, what came alive or was revealed in your own soul as you wrote this book? I think it was Hmm. my own hunger for God 
was fired up more. I think I long to know God the way Eugene did. I long to be as comfortable with myself as Eugene was. You know, Eugene used to say, oh, I'm just so glad I got to be Eugene. Wow. Wow. Um, and I just think, oh, man, what? I would love to be able to truly say, oh, I'm just so glad I got to be win. And for that not to be something that's said out of pride or ego, but just out of deep gratitude for the way God fashioned the unique me, you know, and to believe that we have something to offer that God through the Holy Spirit wants us to birth in the world. And so it even helped me to think of Eugene in even less idealistic ways. I mean, I tried to not have ideals around him and the way he thought of church as some kind of Petersonian model that now we should follow. But I think really delving into his story helped all the more me to release mm. some of those burdens. So I have one, one question and at the risk of seeking Petersonian wisdom. <laughs> you know, the church is at a really crucial moment right now. I think a lot of, I think there's been a lot of things that have been unraveling for a long time, which Peterson spoke prophetically to throughout his life. And it seems that the pandemic has just sped all that up and made us confront the things that we didn't want to confront. You know, I, I think there are tricky things throughout this moment. Like, I've always been a person who, who was kind of down with any kind of online church or anything. And suddenly, like, you're doing online church and because you have to. I'm pastoring at a church right now. We're still we're still in lockdown, so we're fully online. And I'm the interim pastor and came in. I think we had, like, two weeks of being in person. And so I'm trying to, you know, figure this out and lead this church well through their transition in the middle of a pandemic. And it just strikes me that the kind of voices that we need are people like Peterson. And without in any way trying to call forth like a Petersonian model or something like that, I mean, you've just spent so much time with his work, with his life. What do you think some of the wisdom would be that he would speak to pastors right now if he were alive and they're trying to pastor through a pandemic they're online. We don't know who's coming back. <laughs> All these types of things, right? Um, what do you think Peterson would say to pastors right now? Trust God. Believe that this is Jesus's church mm -hmm. and that Jesus loves the world. And believe that God was at work before you ever were. Be faithful. Be playful. Know that God's love is more potent and powerful than you could ever imagine. And, and that you don't have to figure out what to do in a pandemic or post-pandemic world. You just mm -hmm. love the person in front of you. And... And trust that the Trinity is alive and well. Mm. And be with people however you can and listen to their stories and know that God is there. And, you know, I, 
coming coming here to Western and helping to to launch the the Peterson Center, I think a concern around that is that we would play into this notion of celebrity that is anti-gospel and anti-Eugene. But how I think about it is that Eugene was a witness, a witness to the action and the love and the presence of our God in a peculiar moment of our history and that we want to be witnesses yeah. in the same way. To me, that's different than following a model. Um, there's an openness to that. There's a, a, a sense of having to trust the ongoing work of the Spirit. And yet it's grounded in some particular things that I think are what's always been truest about the church. And I do think that in some ways, Eugene actually was a little ahead of his time. I think he was speaking into realities that many of us felt, but I think they're all the more potent now. And I think it's going to become all the more troubling in the future, the days ahead. Like, are we going to believe that at the end of the day, we can figure this <laughs> out and we have the answers? Are we just going to double down on modernity's lies or are we going to finally hear the voice of the ancients? And are we going to trust in the power of God to open up the Red Sea or not? Yeah, I love that. And amen. Amen. Wynn, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to do this. Definitely thanks for this book. And I, I really want to encourage the listeners to to get this book. And, and I'll say too, like for those who have read The Pastor, this book goes in different directions, deeper in some directions. And it, it's just, I, I think it's such a necessary work for anyone interested in Peterson. And for those who aren't familiar with Peterson, I mean, it's a fantastic way to start as well. And I, I don't know how else to say it other than I think you were faithful with the tasks that you were given and trusted to. And I read this, I thought this is a really weighty, a weighty book. And so thank you so much for your work on that. Thanks for taking time to talk today. So that wraps up my conversation with Dr. Wynn Collier about his fantastic book, A Burning in My Bones, the biography of Eugene Peterson. Next time, I'll be interviewing Dr. A.J. Swoboda about his great book on deconstruction called After Doubt. And hey, head over to Facebook. We now have a Facebook group for the Theo Imagination podcast where we discuss these things. Until next time, grace and peace. <laughs>